listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture this morning is Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man came out of the tombs with an unclean spirit in him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, But the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swineherds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the Damianic sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the Damianic and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thanks for that reading, Luann. <sighs> Hope there's no animal lovers here after that one. <laughs> Sorry, that's dark. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, today we are talking about the story of the Gerasene demoniac. Try saying that ten times fast, huh? Gerasene demoniac. Garrison, I won't go all ten. Um, it's a bit of a tongue twister. This is a wild one. This story plays out kind of like a, like a horror film. Uh, when we last saw Jesus and his disciples, uh, they were on a boat heading across the Sea of Galilee, right? That's when a storm 
came in. The disciples freaked out. Jesus had to get up from his nap and tell the waves to be quiet. Um, That was last week's story. Our passage for today picks up right after all that. Uh, Jesus and the disciples touch down on the other side of the sea in the region of the Gerasenes, and they run into this demon-possessed man, the Gerasene demoniac. He lives in a cemetery among the tombs, so you just have like layer upon layer of uncleanness in this story. This guy's a Gentile. He lives among dead bodies. He's demon-possessed with a herd of pigs nearby. Like Mark has checked every box to let us know that Jesus and the disciples are very out of their element in this story. This guy's got a demon. Um, He's so strong he can't be restrained. The people have tried tying him up, chaining him up. He just busts through the chains. Now he sits by the tombs crying out and cutting himself with sharp stones, with rocks. Today we'd probably call this uh, a severe mental health crisis. Like, that's the language we would use to talk about this today. Um, We might even be kind of tempted to dismiss a story about ancient uh, demon possession as like, oh, that's just a mental health crisis. Before we go there, though, um, it's important to understand some of the subtext, some of what's going on beneath the surface in this story. I'm going to show you all a map up here on the screens just to get a better sense of our bearings. So you've got Nazareth, that's Jesus' hometown, right? And Capernaum, that's where Jesus and the disciples have been doing their stuff. That's where the story has been centered up till now. That's where they got on the boat to cross over the sea. Um, Sea of Galilee is actually right there. It's that little blue area there. And uh, they've gone across the sea, and now they're on the other side. If we zoom out a little bit on this map we'll see even more of kind of the lay of the land. Uh, down there in the south, you've got Jerusalem. The river that's running through is the Jordan River. And then across the river on the other side, you've got all these cities. There's um, Canatha, Hippus, Dion, Rafana, Gadara, Pella, Garassa, Philadelphia. Hey, Philadelphia, I've been there. I know that one. Um, sorry, wrong Philadelphia, wrong Philadelphia, different Philadelphia. This region, though, across the Jordan River with all the cities, it was called the Decapolis. Deca, ten, polis, cities, ten cities, Decapolis, not the most creative name, but that's what this region was called um, by by the Greeks, by the Romans. And as you can see, the city of Gerasa, where the Gerasenes are from, is kind of right in the middle of this region. So the Jews on the other side of the river called it the region of the Gerasenes. Now, all this territory, everything you see on the map and well beyond that, this was all part of the Roman Empire at the time. This is occupied land. You've got Jewish territory on one side of the river, Gentile on the other, but this is all colonized land. These people are living under Roman occupation. And the The Decapolis was home Uh, to multiple military outposts of the Romans. You had about four legions, about 20,000, 25,000 Roman soldiers stationed in the Decapolis. And the city of Gerasa, where this demon-possessed man is from, Gerasa was pretty notorious. Starting from about a decade or so before the birth of Christ, 
right up until Mark is writing his gospel, so roughly a period of like 70, 80 years, Gerasa was known as a place of violence and revolution. Um, over that period, there were about a dozen failed attempts in Gerasa to kick out the Romans, to, to, to wrench off this chain of oppression. A series of failed revolutions that were put down one after the other violently by Rome. So the Gerasenes, these are a people who are well acquainted with violence. They've suffered for years under foreign military occupation. They've tried to fight back, to resist, only to be crushed time after time again. And the Gerasene demoniac, this demon-possessed man who's crying out by the cemetery, embodies all of that trauma in his very body. One thing we miss with this story uh, that's a lot more obvious if you read it in Greek is that Mark has peppered in all sorts of military language to this story. Most obvious example is when Jesus asks for the demon's name. What does the demon say? Legion. My name is Legion. Legion is what they called a unit of about five to 6,000 Roman soldiers. Then in verse 11, we get a herd of pigs. But the word that Mark uses is not the like, traditional word for herd. He calls them a band of pigs. Band, again, being military language, like a band of soldiers. You've also got the fact <clears throat> that Mark is talking about pigs, how do I put this um, delicately? Um, in, in Judaism, most of us know this, uh, pigs are an unclean animal, right? You don't associate with pigs, you don't touch pigs, you don't eat pigs. But at that time, for Jews living under Roman occupation, pig was also something they used as a derogatory word. It was a slang term that Jews used to describe Roman soldiers this occupying force of men with weapons who are in our neighborhoods telling us what to do. They called them pigs. Not advocating that, by the way, just to make that super clear, just relaying the information, but that is another kind of obvious military parallel in this story. Then in verse 13, when Jesus casts out the demons, um, the text says that Jesus gave them permission, that's what our translation says, to enter the pigs. Literally, it says he dismissed them, which again, think dismissed. Exact same connotation here. And then finally, in verse 13, also in verse 13, when the demons are dismissed into this band of pigs, they charge into the sea. Charge being more military occupation type language. So the story of the Gerasene demoniac, the story about a demon-possessed man living under military occupation ends with a legion of pigs drowning in the sea. By the way, Mark is writing this, we think in like the 60s-ish of the first century, late 60s, while he's himself living under that same military occupation, just as war is breaking out in Jerusalem between the Romans and the Jews. You'd better be careful who you let hear this story, right? This is the kind of thing that'll get you killed. 
All that to say there's a lot more happening in the story of the Gerasene demoniac than meets the eye. Mark's capturing the violent political situation of the time of Jesus. He's making a sort of subversive, we might say like anti-authoritarian commentary on his own political situation. Mark's also foreshadowing the forces that are going to come together to put Jesus on a cross. This is our second demon possession story uh, in the Gospel of Mark. The first one was way back in chapter 1. Jesus encountered a demon-possessed man in a synagogue in a place of worship. He cast out that demon, and it got him into trouble with the religious establishment. Now, here in chapter 5, Jesus casts out a demon with all these parallels that call out the political establishment. The religious establishment and the political establishment being the two forces that team up to get Jesus killed. We following along so, so far? We're connecting some of those dots? Excellent. A lot is happening in this story, just to say that. <clears throat> to simplify it, though, to break it all down uh, and make it a bit more palatable, relatable, at its most basic level, this is a story about a man in crisis who carries the scars of his people. This Gerasene demoniac embodies the suffering of his community. His people are living under military occupation, and he is literally occupied by a legion of demons until Jesus sets him free. To make this even more real, imagine if you're in your 80s living in Ukraine right now. If you're 80-something years old, you were born during World War II, probably. That's like, that's the ballpark. So your earliest memories are going to be a time of war. And World War II is absolutely brutal in Ukraine. They estimate five to seven million Ukrainians died during that war. Uh, you're raised by parents who probably lived through both World Wars, so you've got generations of trauma kind of on top of that. Then after the war... Uh, the bulk of your life, your youth, your young adulthood, the bulk of your adulthood is spent behind the Iron Curtain. Russian occupation. No freedom, no escape. You've got secret police everywhere watching everything you do. Uh, failed revolutions. That kind of ever-present threat of nuclear war that I know at least some of us in this room can remember those days. You know, the the drills, hiding under your desk, duck and cover, all of that. Then in 1991, the Soviet Union collapses. You're in your 50s at this point. Ukraine becomes an independent nation. There's all this hope, all this promise, which doesn't last long. Poverty takes hold. Um, corruption, your country kind of falls apart. Your government's run by a bunch of Russian cronies, basically a, a puppet state. Then in 2014, Russia annexes Crimea, so a whole chunk of your country is just gone, taken. And now, you're in your 80s in Ukraine. You've got more than 100,000 Russian troops on the border posed to invade. If you're a Ukrainian in your 80s, you probably know what it's like to bear the trauma of your people. The emotional trauma, mental trauma, spiritual trauma, literal injuries and infirmities you probably carry with you. Oh, that scar on my leg, I got that fighting with the resistance in 73. You know, something like that. 
you've probably got some demons. You might have some flashbacks. You might have nightmares. Perhaps the demon of military occupation lives in you. This story is not some like Hollywood fiction, some ancient fantasy that we would just dismiss. This is real life stuff. Jesus encounters this man who suffered tremendous trauma. He's living with it in his very being, and he heals him. Jesus sets him free. He dismisses the demons, and the man is left whole. The people from the area come out to see what's going on, this guy's neighbors. Um, They've probably heard the commotion. I imagine 2,000 pigs drowning would be pretty loud. Poor piggies. Um, But they come out. They come out to see what's going on, and they find this formerly demon-possessed man, this guy that they knew that no one could restrain, they find him clothed and in his right mind. And their reaction is fear. They recoil at the sight of this guy. They should be happy. They should celebrate that he has been set free. Instead, his neighbors ask Jesus to leave. Get back on your boat and go back where you came from. Please leave us be. Which is a really good reminder that while Jesus comes to set us free, not everyone is going to be on board with our newfound freedom. These are an occupied people. All they've known all their lives is violence and chaos. When Jesus shows up and reveals a different way, when Jesus points them to a different way to be in the world, they recoil and become afraid because as terrible, as awful, as traumatic as all that violence has been, it's familiar. If you've worked through some stuff, um, if you've overcome a few demons of your own, and then you hang out with friends, uh, family members, neighbors who are still in that old life, who are still stuck in all those destructive habits that you have worked through or are in the process of working through and breaking free of, you've seen this kind of reaction yourself, probably. The way they recoil, the way your newfound health, your freedom is now viewed with suspicion as something foreign and unwelcome. Jesus comes to set us free from whatever demons entrap us, but that very freedom can be terrifying. It can be terrifying for the people around us, and it can be especially scary for us. It's not easy to face your demons. It's hard work. It requires commitment and courage. You might have to spend years of your life working through this stuff. If you're going to break free of like destructive habits that you picked up along the way, maybe like destructive family dynamics or something like that, you are going to have to confront and reckon with the way you have carried out those habits in your own family, the way you've repeated the stuff that you were taught. That's not easy. And it doesn't help when those closest to us aren't supportive. This is all on a really personal level, but like, let's think broader. Let's think a bit bigger picture. Because as much as this is a story about one guy, this is also a story about corporate evil, communal trauma, imperial violence. Thankfully, most of us in this room 
don't know the experience of living under military occupation, but we have all still been shaped by empire in various ways. I think about our own country um, and our addiction to violence, how desensitized we are, how we've been conditioned to just accept it. My earliest memory, at least like my earliest real memory of like a national news story, is the Oklahoma City bombing. I was nine when that happened. I remember seeing it on the news, it was terrible. I remember not really understanding why anyone would do this. I remember all the pictures. I remember that one picture, we're not gonna show it, but um, of the firefighter holding a baby because that building that those right-wing terrorists blew up was also home to a daycare center. That's my earliest like national news headline memory. Uh, most of the major events of my life are marked by school shootings. Columbine, 1999, that was my freshman year. Uh, West Nickel Mines, uh, that was those Amish girls that were shot in that school in Pennsylvania. That's my senior year of college. I went to school about an hour away from there. Um, Virginia Tech, that's the year I started se seminary. Sandy Hook was the year I got licensed as a pastor. I could go on with these. But this is the stuff that I think about every time my daughter gets on the bus in the morning. And like every time I drop my son off at school, this is what runs through my head. This is the loop that plays. That's going to be my life for the next 20 years. And I know from talking to other millennial parents that I am not the only one. We've raised a generation of young people now in our 30s and 40s. That's <sighs> oh, scary. That's, that's a scary part too. But we've raised a generation of young people who've been shaped by this violence. Are we ready to break free from that demon? Is, is our society ready? I don't think so. Are we ready to reckon with violence in our movies and TV, violence in our discourse, our $715 billion defense budget? the arms that we sell to nations and regimes around the world? Or how about our uniquely American love affair fascination with guns and our uniquely American way in which some of that violence has been borne by our youngest people? I don't think we're ready to reckon with that as a, as a society. I don't think we're close. Jesus comes to set us free from all of that, but we have to do the work. And we can't really talk about violence, um, at least in our, in our setting, in our country, without talking about race as well, the demons of racism and white supremacy, which have been with us for a long time. We fought a war over this. It was the focus of our Color of Compromise study a few months back. Uh, last year, I read a book, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Got a picture here. This is a phenomenal book. <clears throat> Highly recommend it. Um, you want to talk about a man who bears the scars of his people, a man who's wrestling with the demons of racism. Uh, Ibram Kendi, that's him pictured there. He's an African-American man. And in this book, he tells stories from his own life about how, like, racist, white supremacist ideals have shaped him, not primarily as, as a victim, but as a perpetrator, 
He writes about um, breaking up with his college girlfriend because she was too dark-skinned. He had found a, a lighter-skinned black woman who he, who, he, who he dumped her for, and at the time, he viewed that as an upgrade. Uh, Kendi writes about being a teenager in a predominantly black high school and how he and his other black friends would make fun of the one Ghanaian kid in their class, the, guy, the kid who had immigrated from Ghana because he was African. Reading those stories was so disarming. To hear the testimony of a black man who's wrestling with his own racism, it kind of forces you to confront your own racism. I think about the jokes I've laughed at, the jokes I've told, assumptions I make, my own biases, the way our violent corporate sins of racism and white supremacy continue to shape me. Racism has been called America's original sin, and it keeps coming up over and over again because we don't want to face it. We're too afraid. We'd rather just get on the boat and go back to where it came from on the other side of the sea. Don't make us confront this. What I really appreciate about this story, the Garrison demoniac, is how it brings together the personal and the communal with this stuff. This man's personal liberation from the demons of his people coexists with his neighbor's rejection of that freedom. Catch that, it's important. His neighbors reject the freedom Jesus offers, but that doesn't negate the liberation of this man. He's still free. And if anything, this gives him a call to mission. It gives him direction. Uh, This former demoniac begs to go with Jesus. Let me come with you. Let me follow you. Let me be your disciple. Don't leave me here with these people. I can't take it. Maybe some of us can relate to that at times. But Jesus says, no. Your place is here with your community, with your neighbors. I know it's going to be hard, but you don't have to convince them of anything. You don't have to change their minds. You don't have to change the world. All you have to do is stay here and testify. Everywhere you go, you tell people about the freedom you've received. Then we get the closing line of the story. The man went away, and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The first traveling evangelist, the first person to go around proclaiming the good news was this formerly demon-possessed Gentile, a total outsider. You don't have to change the world. That's God's job. You don't have to change anybody. You don't have to convince your friends, your family, your neighbors who are still stuck in those same destructive old habits and patterns and routines. That is also God's job. Your job is to confront the demons in yourself. To do the hard work, the personal work of unearthing the ways you've been complicit in violence. 
the ways you've fallen short. Get help. Work through that stuff. Hand it over to Jesus, and he will set you free. And then you go, and you tell everybody the good news of what Christ has done for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for setting us free. God, we ask that you'd empower us to live into that freedom. Lead us to come to terms with our demons, to confront the darkness that's still lurking in our own lives. Lord, for anyone in this room right now who is struggling with that, who still needs help, and then maybe is having a hard time finding it, we pray that they'd find you and that you'd lead them to resources that can help lead them to freedom. Set us free from our demons, God. Liberate us from anything that is still holding us captive and robbing us of life. Set us free and help us to share the good news of that freedom with everyone we meet. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.